So welcome back. We now begin the formal opening of the retreat. Um, I'll be giving a short talk, a dharmet, introducing the theme of the retreat. Um, then Shelley and I will guide us through the refuges and precepts. And then Shelley will guide um, a 30-minute meditation or about that on, on the breath. Um, so first, just a couple of things about this retreat. Um, um, you know, we hold the retreat in what we call noble silence. And it's very supportive of retreat practice uh, to keep what we call noble silence during the retreat, to speak only when needed, keeping our attention internal and staying close to ourselves. It's very helpful not to read, but in particular not to look at texts or emails, unless something is urgent, of course. Um, this supports the practice in deepening as the days of the retreat proceed. On uh, residential retreats, we often have to speak a little bit, um, you know, such as when we do our work meditations, you know, uh, uh, when we need to tell somebody how to chop the carrots or, or different things like that. Um, <clears throat> and in the same way, some of you who may live with others, you may need to speak a little bit. And if you do, you can fold that into your practice. Consider it part of your practice, mindful speaking, mindful speech, relaxing as you can, and just staying very simple with it. It's not a problem. There's no need to make it wrong. You know, what's most important is to be kind. It's much more important to be kind than to be silent. Um. <clears throat> And for those of you who are uh, newer to retreat, and even for some of you old-timers who tend to push your bodies a little too much, um, I'd like to suggest that you be gentle with your body, especially as we enter our first full day of retreat tomorrow. Most of us are not used to sitting so many hours without moving, even with the most comfortable chairs and cushions uh, the body takes time to adapt. So take your time, you know. Um, we will give some posture instruction tomorrow, but just ease into it. You know, do the sits, but if you need to um, do a sit in a different location, a different spot, go ahead and move. Uh, make yourself, um, you know, push yourself a tiny bit, but not a lot, especially the first day. Um, and um, any logistical questions that still remain before we really begin this formal aspect of the retreat. And if you have one, please use your Zoom hand so I see you. And one of the things I'll say about questions, you know, um, Sometimes people are shy. Others, okay. Uh, Deepika, go ahead and unmute. Hi there. Can Hi. you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, thank you. You know what? I am having a lot of trouble hearing you, Inez. And I'm just wondering... I hope that's a logistical question, first of all. 
And I'm just wondering, uh, and when Shelly was uh, speaking earlier, I was having trouble hearing her as well. I just wanted to let you know. Um, you know, the managers haven't said anything. So can everybody give me a thumbs up if you can hear me well? Okay. Um, thumbs down if anybody can't, anybody else can't. Okay, so one, so Liz is having a little trouble. Um, I'll turn my sound up um, just a little bit. Uh, let's see, Zoom. Um, is that any better? I don't want to make it too loud for everybody. Um, that was a bit better for on my end, yeah. How is it for everybody else? Is it too loud at all? Are we good? Great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that's a perfect logistical question. So any others? Okay. And you can always send a note if you need, if there's something else that comes up. Uh, so please feel free to do that later. Um so, you know, we're entering the silence of the retreat now, and we can begin to slow down, to stay internal, to keep the attention on ourselves, on the breath, or on this body, which is always here. It can be very helpful to take a little time and reflect I'm bringing an attitude of acceptance with whatever shows up on this retreat. Both in our meditative experience, but also externally in our personal circumstances. It doesn't matter how perfect the situation we set up for a retreat, we still get at least some of what we don't want. You know, maybe it's a leaky toilet or maybe it's a restless mind. The beautiful part of mindfulness is that it all belongs. It can all get folded into practice. We don't have to be in conflict with the things that we don't like. So I'll I'll continue with um, an introduction into the theme of this retreat, which is transforming the three defilements. There is a profound teaching in which the Buddha said, the mind is by nature radiant and pure. It is shining. It's because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. The Buddha didn't say that some people's minds are radiant and pure, but that every one of us Everyone's mind is radiant and pure. He didn't say that because of these visiting forces were unworthy or defective. He said that because of them we suffer. The heart of the teachings is that suffering and discontent come from craving, from wanting things to be other than the way they are. 
in Buddhist psychology, this potential for craving comes from these three deep roots in our psyches, which we often call the three defilements or the torments of the mind, the glacis. And these are the three roots of greed, hatred, and delusion, and all the many, many derivatives of those. Greed drives us to cling to what we want, and hate or ill will drives us to avoid and resist what we don't want, to reject what we don't want. And in a very simple way, delusion can be said, um, it leads us to believe that we can get what we want to the exclusion of what we don't want. Even though we, we know better, delusion, in the moments of delusion, we believe we can just get what we want. Um, the Buddhist, pra- Buddhist practice is often called the path of purification. We practice to purify our heart and mind from these three root poisons. They will keep the mind and heart agitated and unsatisfied. They will cause so much suffering in our lives and in the world. Over the next few days, we'll touch on the transformation of these defilements, um, transformation of these visitors we all have. They include all the unhelpful thoughts, emotions, moods, attitudes that tend to keep us from being at peace. One definition of enlightenment um, is being free of greed, hatred, and delusion. It's actually one of my favorite definitions, the one I connect to the most, because I've had moments where I'm free of greed, and they feel good, you know, and I've had moments free of um, hatred and all its derivatives, and that feels good. And moments free of delusion where the mind is clear and that feels good. And so it's not so un- unknown. The freedom is so, it's very, very touchable. So being free of greed, hatred, and delusion, a heart and mind that are at peace. So these three roots or poisons that give rise to branches to all the many unhelpful mental states that can arise, all the forms of discontent. Greed, for instance, gives rise to wanting, to chasing pleasures of the body and mind, chasing comfort, to selfishness, neediness, jealousy. See if you can relate to some of these. Gluttony. Lust, obsessiveness, stinginess, desire for power and status, or more possessions than we need, or little uh, desires like checking our devices. Aversion gives rise to anger, frustration, anxiety, Hatred, irritation, rage, hostility, violence. I mean, these are the things that make a world that is uh, in chaos. 
both internal and external. Delusion is actually a support for both greed and hatred. It's like a cloud or shroud in the mind that blocks out understanding. It gives rise to impatience, restlessness. You're all familiar with these, with boredom, arrogance, pride, conceit, confusion, sloth and torpor, and doubt. Greed says, I want that. Hatred says, I want that to go away. Delusion says, I don't know what I'm feeling or what I'm wanting or not wanting. I don't know that I am wanting or not wanting. That's delusion. For instance, it's greed that wants us to have a third piece of pie. And in the moment, it's delusion that lets us believe that it's going to make us happy. That that momentary happiness is worth the after effects. Or it's hatred that wants us to scream at someone. And in the moment, delusion allows us to believe that we'll be better off if we do. So it's natural for humans to move towards what's pleasant and to move away from the unpleasant. All animals and plants do. The plants, you know, lean towards the sun, um, lean away from the from the cold. It's part of our survival instinct. Moving towards the pleasant tends to keep us safe and sheltered out of the storm. Moving away from the raging fire keeps us safe. The challenge is not this natural movement that occurs, but the agitation that occurs in us when we're attached to being a certain way. Often living our lives with the idea that by controlling our environment, we'll be happy. And that all we need to do is get everything just the way we want it, just the way we want it. And no matter how much we try, that's not doable. Um, one of the stories I've told before, but, um, um, you know, when we had our first retreat at IRC, um, you know, about 11 years ago, you know, I was the, I'd been the project manager for a huge renovation there. And we had built that, that took, you know, over a year. And I was finally a yogi. It was the very first retreat there. And, you know, I was, you know, really glad with how it turned out. You know, everything looked good, shining new. And, you know, it went to lay down in my bed peacefully on my very first night of retreat. And as I lay my head down on my pillow, my eyes landed under the windowsill. And the painters had not painted under the windowsill. And... I restrained my desire to to take on my writing pad and, you know, and add to the punch list, the never-ending punch list, that everything that was still wrong. And I watched my mind just fill with anger so quickly at the contractor. Um, you know, but fortunately, you know, I had spent the whole day meditating and so I was able to stay with it until it faded away. And then I relaxed into the retreat. Not the way we want it. Um, with meditation practice you know the mind can become more still 
we can see more clearly how it works, how these poisons function in us. And as we practice, they hold in us, can weaken. It's important not to view these defilements as enemies, not to push them away. That just adds aversion to aversion. It's natural that they're there, that they're part of our strategies for survival. But as we practice, we find better strategies, healthier strategies. So when they arise, we can just meet them with a kind and curious attitude and see them arise and see them go away. When we hate or oppose the defilements, we're actually feeding them. We can see them simply as a pattern of the mind that isn't helpful and that causes us stress and suffering. And even when we get caught by them, once we notice, we can meet that with kindness instead of harsh judgment. And in the way that a caterpillar protects itself in a cocoon and eventually transforms into a butterfly by shedding the old skin, it all happens gradually in its own time. We can't rush it. We can't make the butterfly come out sooner than it's ready to. And we can find that with sincere practice, these energies of greed, of wanting, can transform inside us and within us into a sense of trust, of confidence that we have enough, that this is enough. And that the aspects of aversion, which are really good at seeing what's wrong with ourselves and others, they can transform into the wisdom of seeing clearly. And the deluded mind can develop into a balanced mind that's supported by equanimity. And we can know our own minds as radiant and pure and shining. So thank you. And um, Shelley will now guide us on the three refuges. Thank you, Ines. That's really inspiring. I'm looking forward to this retreat. So um, as we enter retreat, uh, we're moving into a space where there is the potential to explore our inner lives in a very intimate way. And because of that, we want to create a container that supports that inner exploration. And one way that we traditionally do this is to go for refuge to what's referred to in, uh, in Buddhism as the triple gem, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And in taking the refuges, we're orienting our minds and hearts in the direction of inner freedom. So the first of the three is the Buddha, refuge in the Buddha. The Buddha is the exemplar. He was a human being, just like us, who discovered a path to complete awakening to the end of suffering and its causes, the causes of suffering, greed, hatred, and delusion. So he personifies the goal of the practice, 
And he, he found this inner freedom for himself. And then he spent the rest of his life, about 40 years, walking barefoot around northern India, teaching others what he had discovered so that others, too, could be free. I'm so glad that the Buddha decided to teach. So grateful for that. And when I take refuge in the Dharma, it's it's in the potential to walk the path all the way to the end, to become fully liberated. That's that's what I'm taking refuge in. I believe that we can rely on that potential. I believe we can take refuge in it. So the Buddha found a path to, to liberation, and then he offered that path to everyone who would sincerely follow it. Everyone. What he taught is the Dharma teachings and practices that lead to awakening. And when we take refuge in the Dharma, we're expressing our confidence in these teachings in the path of liberation. At the end of his life, when the Buddha was asked who would be the teacher after he died, one answer he gave was that the Dharma would be the teacher. We can rely on the Dharma, the path that the Buddha taught. We can take refuge in it. And the third refuge is the Sangha, the community of practitioners. And classically, this refuge is in the what's called the Noble Sangha, those who have had at least a taste of liberation, of awakening. And their guidance and example are something that we can trust and call on. But more broadly, the Sangha can mean all those we practice with, all those we practice with, all of us here tonight. For this retreat, those in this virtual hall all the time. The presence of each of us sitting here is a support to all the rest of us in our inner exploration, that exploration of ourselves that can be so intimate. There's a shared purpose. There's a shared commitment to practice in this community, and that can inspire us. We can take refuge in it. We can rely on it. So we're going to uh, take the refuges in, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in Pali now. And we're going to, uh, I think that um, we're going to have uh, the uh, the refuges and the precepts, the refuges shared on the, on the screen by Allison. She did that, yes. And... Um, and we'll we'll do them in call and response fashion. And I'll do the call and you'll respond, but I'm also going to do the response so that you can hear someone when you're doing the response. You won't be able to hear each other because we're you'll all be muted, but but you'll be able to sing along with me when I do the response to the um to the line. So you can see can I hope you can all see it on your on your screens. Great. And um, I hope you can hear me, <clears throat> and I'll do my best. <laughs> so the, the refuges begin with um, uh, giving homage to the Buddha. We repeat that three times, and then we go into um, the refuges themselves. So uh, we'll begin now. Namo tasa. Bhagavato Arahato 
Sama Sambudasa Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Buddham Saranangachami Buddham Will uh, will lead us in the in the precepts. She'll talk about them a little bit first. When um, 
I first started sitting retreats. I listened to the precepts and I thought to myself, oh yeah, just a reminder to be a good person and, and not hurt anyone. But over the years of practice, my understanding of this dedication to non-harming deepened and it began to seep into every aspect of my life. The Buddha taught that living a life based on non-harming is the foundation of spiritual life. It's uh, really, it's essential to our spiritual life. When we live with the intention to knock us harm, to relate to everyone with kindness, including ourselves, it develops a sense of integrity in us. It gives us a sense of trust, of confidence in ourselves. When the way we act in our lives and the way we speak are based on kindness, it naturally increases our ability to be happy and to be at ease in our lives. Non-harming includes being kind to ourselves with our thoughts and with our attitudes. It doesn't mean being perfect. It means always leaning in the direction of non-harming. But not being perfect. These precepts are a training of the mind. They're not a perfection of the mind. At the very heart of this practice is letting go of our attachments of clinging. Any time that we intentionally cause harm, it's because we're clinging to something we want or don't want. A dedication to non-harming is intertwined with a dedication to non-clinging. These are the five precepts. They're the guidelines or for ethical behavior that the Buddha taught. They're not commanding. They're not commandments, but a training of the mind and heart. They're not based on ideas of good or bad, but on really understanding that some things we do lead to suffering and other actions lead to happiness and freedom. So we traditionally connect with this dedication to non-harming at the beginning of retreats by reciting these five precepts. And um, I'll say a little something about the five of them before we do this together. The first is to refrain from killing. And I like to include and to act with reverence to all forms of life. This connects me with my heartfelt wish to treat all living beings with care. The second is to refrain from taking that which is not given. That includes appreciating what we receive. The third is to refrain from sexual misconduct. Uh, For this retreat, it means not participating in any sexual activity during the retreat. In daily life, it refers to respecting our sexual energy and not causing harm with it. The fourth precept is to refrain from lying and to speak truthfully. And I like to always include to speak kindly. For this retreat, it means maintaining noble silence and only speaking as needed. 
And for some of you who live with others, it might look a bit different than in a residential retreat. And the fifth is to refrain from intoxicants that cloud the mind. Not just refraining from drugs and alcohol, but these days we consider the internet and our devices as common intoxicants. So for those of you that might be tempted by your devices, it might be really helpful to think of them as intoxicants, that addictive quality that keeps us from having a clear mind and peaceful heart. On retreat, these five precepts help create a safe and supportive environment for our own practice and for all of us practicing together. So we ask you to verbally agree to, we ask you to verbally agree to them for the duration of the retreat. So I'm going to go ahead and um, share screen with you in a moment. Um, and and we'll do it the sa- a similar way that um, Shelley did it. Um, uh, but I'll say them, and um, and you'll say them after I say them. And let me share a screen. You can see that. Great, thank you. So please um, uh, repeat after me in your own space. For the duration of this retreat, I agree to refrain from taking life. I agree to refrain from taking life. I agree to refrain from taking that which is not given. I agree to refrain from taking that which is not given. I agree to refrain from sexual activity. I agree to refrain from sexual activity. I agree to maintain noble silence and to speak only when needed. I agree to maintain noble silence and to speak only when needed. I agree to refrain from taking intoxicants. I agree to refrain from taking intoxicants. Thank you. Um, So Shelley will be guiding us in a meditation next, but if you'd like to take a few moments, don't go anywhere, just one less than a minute to just stretch your legs. Um, Go ahead and stretch your legs, Um, but she'll start in one minute.
Okay. I'd like to um, settle into a meditation posture, a stable, upright posture. Something that we that we always, almost always, encourage in uh, in setting ourselves up for meditation is that the posture be both upright so that it's alert and also at the same time relaxed. And that might seem like a kind of a paradox, but actually if you just straighten your spine and then allow the rest of the body to kind of hang from it, allow the arms, the rib cage to just relax down and maintain a state of awakeness because we want to be awake for meditation. We want to be in a dignified posture as well because it's really what we're doing. Meditation is a really profound practice. It's really worthy of respect. It's worthy of our, uh, of our taking it seriously. And that, uh, that combination of being alert and relaxed is a, is a posture of respect that I think is, is beneficial to the practice. Just take a little bit of time sensing into your inner state right now. There was busyness earlier in the day and, uh, and it feels like we're slowly beginning to slow down. Maybe the wheels in the mind are, are turning less quickly and thoughts aren't, aren't happening so fast. And, uh, and there's a possibility of coming to rest. Not the earlier business, just settle. Feel into what it feels like to be just sitting right now where you are. The sense of your bottom in the chair or in the cushion or on the a couch or bed, wherever you're sitting or lying. <clears throat> the sense of the air against your skin, the clothing. Just really feeling into what it feels like to just be sitting. Ready to be attentive to what's happening in the present moment. And then I invite you to turn your attention to the sensations of breathing, just breathing naturally. Feeling the in-breath, feeling the out-breath.
You might take a couple of deeper breaths. And exhale long. As a way of settling a little bit more. And then allowing the breath to just be at its normal rhythm, whatever that is right now. Notice the sensations. Be attentive to the sensations where they're most prominent for you. Maybe in the in the nostrils, maybe at the tip of the nostrils, maybe in the throat. Maybe as the chest rises and falls, that's the most prominent place of the movement of the belly. Out with the in-breath and then collapsing with it. Out-breath. Wherever it's easiest to feel the sensations, let your attention rest there. We often use the breath as our anchor in this practice. And the, the reasons for that are that are many. But it's it's continuous. The breath is always happening as long as we're alive. And it's it has a rhythm to it. And the rhythm can help to calm us, can help to make the mind a bit more relaxed at ease. And the continuous nature of it means it's always happening in the present moment. So when we attend to it, that keeps us in the present moment, not just flying off into um, somewhere else. In the mindfulness practice, we're learning to be present to what's arising within us. And we begin, usually, with this, with the breath. It's reliably there throughout our lives. So I invite you to maintain attention on the breath, letting your breath ride, letting your attention ride the breath as it comes in and as it goes out. And if uh, if you find yourself lost at some point, if there's fantasy or memories of things that happened in the day, conversations you've had, as soon as you're aware, just let go of those and return to the sensations of breathing. 
Breathing in and breathing out. We're training the mind to stay right here, right now, where we are, in this moment, and this moment. And again, if you find yourself pulled away from the present moment experience of breathing into fantasy or memory or 
some other area that isn't right here, right now, with the breathing. Just very gently bring your attention back. No need to drag it, just just turning toward the breath again. Being present to the sensations of breathing.
So we have entered the silence of the retreat now. And uh, depending on whether you have energy or not uh, this evening or whatever time of day it is for you, um, you're welcome to continue uh, having a walking period now and then returning for a sit. Um, and if you feel like it's time to rest, then, you know, please feel free to do that, to rest. Take care of yourselves. Be gentle with yourselves, as, as Inez suggested earlier. And uh, and we'll see you in the morning, um, morning Pacific time at 6.30 a.m. Pacific time. And I wish you a really peaceful uh, rest this this evening. And... Uh, and readiness for tomorrow's practice. Good night, a good day. See you in the morning. <laughs>